0: Welcome to Rapham Focus, a podcast devoted to exploring the provocative and impactful aspects of the research published in regional anesthesia and pain medicine. Here, we'll make sure to discuss and debate the findings that matter most for clinicians, patients, and policymakers. I'm Rapham editor and your usual host, Dr. Brian Seitz. Today, I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Dr. Stavros Masudis, to guest host our episode with Dr.
1: Edward Yap.
0: Hello, my name is Stavros Mimtoudis, and welcome to the rap Focus podcast discussing the recently published article, Outcomes in Patients Undergoing Ambulatory Joint Arthroplasty, Does the Type of Anesthesia Matter? by Edward Yap and colleagues. The impact of the type of anesthesia on perioperative outcomes has been the subject of much debate. Observational data suggests that neuraxial anesthesia may provide benefits over general anesthesia, especially in the orthopedic population. However, it remains unclear if these benefits can be materialized in all subpopulations, including those patients undergoing outpatient joint arthroplasty with generally lower comorbidity burden. Given the current economic pressures to move more and more joint arthroplasties to an outpatient setting, questions regarding the safety of this trend have to to be answered. Importantly, as anesthesiologists, the impact of the type of anesthesia requires investigation and answering. Today, we are joined by Dr. Edward Yap, who has been the uh, first author on this article. Dr. Yap is a senior physician and anesthesiologist with the Permanente Medical Group in California in South San Francisco, Kaiser Permanente, and a volunteer assistant professor of the University of California, San Francisco. Ed,
1: thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Stavros. Uh, I just wanted to thank you and uh, the editors at Rapum for having me today on the program. So recently,
0: Dr. Yeb and colleagues published their uh, manuscript entitled Neuraxial and General Anesthesia for Outpatient Total Joint Arthroplasty Result in Similarly Low Rates of Major Perioperative Complications, a Multi-Centered Cohort Study in the journal RAPM. The study used retrospective data from cases performed in 21 centers in the Kaiser Permanente Northern California system between 2017 and 2019, with a primary goal to compare perioperative outcomes between procedures performed under neuroxial anesthesia and general anesthesia. To start things off, Ed, can you tell us a little bit about the background or controversy around whether we should be performing ambulatory joint arthroplasties?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great introductory question to start the discussion. You know, historically, the average hospital length of stay for total joints was several days to weeks. And as uh, improvements in surgery and perioperative care improved, it led to um, better safety and recovery profile, uh, which which reduced the average hospital length of stay. Uh, and some centers eventually developed uh, s- shorter hospital day protocols or even same-day pro- same discharge protocols. And then as uh, health insurances moved towards bundled payments and and compounded with Medicare's recent removal of total hip and knee arthroplasties as an inpatient procedure, um, total joint arthroplasties were incentivized to further decrease length of stay after surgery. The controversy really lies around whether um, the the evidence of same-day or ambulatory Total joints is uh, feasible. Is, is it safe? Is and is there similar rates of complications? So, so the research around that is 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 mixed.
0: Certainly, great. Thank you very much for that answer, and I certainly see that in our practice every day. So, how does the question of the use of neuraxial versus general anesthesia for ambulatory joint arthroplastic patients fit into this context? And you know, if you would mind explaining to us, what was your hypothesis for this study?
1: Yeah, sure. So. You know, the the type of anesthesia provided for total joint arthroplasty is, is is a really important clinical decision, where anesthesiologists can potentially impact patient outcomes. And as you know, um, many of the studies examining this question of anesthesia for total joints um, that showed that neuraxial anesthesia is, so, is associated with clinical benefits such as decreased postoperative complications. Most of the large database studies examined all patients undergoing total joint arthroplasty. So studies examining just ambulatory surgery patients where patients are healthier, um, uh, there, there's few few of those studies. And so whether the choice of anesthesia mattered in these ambulatory patients was really unclear, and that was the main driver of, of for us to pursue this research. So we our hypothesis was that uh, for ambulatory surgery, with patients who are healthier, uh, we believe that neuroaxial still provided benefits compared to general anesthesia.
0: You analyzed the number of perioperative outcomes and they included perioperative complications, 30-day major and minor complications, and uh, outcomes related to pain management. Why did you choose those outcomes and what do you think their significance is?
1: Great question. So we, we based our uh, perioperative outcomes considering what previous studies have examined, as well as um, how our study outcomes would translate to day-to-day clinical practice. So we we thought it was important to understand where, whether the choice of anesthesia influenced immediate post-operative outcomes that would impact um, pain and recovery profile in the PACU, as well as longer post-operative complications that would impact um, impact hospitalizations or readmissions um, within 30 days.
0: And uh, of course, I think importantly, you know, it's, uh, one would have to think about mechanisms by which the type of anesthesia could affect those outcomes. And certainly I believe that complications are definitely influenceable by the choice of anesthetic uh, through issues like sympathectomy decreases or better control and blood pressure, Redu- reductions in blood loss and, uh, things like that. Going uh, further, can, uh, before we get into the details, can you summarize your findings regarding comparative outcomes? Were there any surprises in your findings?
1: Just to give a background, our hospital system created and initiated an ambulatory total joint pathway in, in 2017. And, um, so we we examined patients from two thousand seventeen through two thousand and nineteen and compared those who received uh, neuraxial to those who received general anesthesia for ambulatory total joint. And What we found was um the patients who underwent um, surgery under neuraxial versus those who had general anesthesia we 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 actually didn't find. A significant difference in our primary outcome, which was 30 day major complications between the two groups. And that 30 day major complications included a composite of mortality, uh, MI, DVT, PE, stroke, and acute renal failure. We also um, didn't find uh, any differences in 30 day minor complications as well as 30 day readmissions. Um, although, you know, we were hoping to see significant differences, we weren't completely surprised by these results since major complications are pretty rare, you know, occurring less than 1% in in patients undergoing this type of surgery. Also, these patients were were healthier, which which already decreases their intrinsic risk. Uh, What did surprise us was some of the secondary findings, specifically patients who received general had higher pain scores uh, despite receiving higher opioids and higher PONV in the recovery room. Surprisingly, those patients were less likely to be discharged the same day of surgery.
0: Yeah, it's always like the chicken or the egg, right? Did they receive more opioids because they were in more pain? Or the other way around, right? So, But good, great, thank you. Um, so it is interesting to see that the practice at the participating institutions favored the use of neuraxial anesthesia with 86% of patients receiving neuraxial This is different from the national average, which is reported to be anywhere between 25 to 40%. Has the use of norexia anesthesia always been favored in your practice or, uh, uh, and if not, what made
1: you change? You know, in the past, I would say that there was not a clear preference on the type of anesthesia for joints. But the general trend in the last decade or so shifted towards the use of neuraxial anesthesia. And that was from, you know, st- studies like yours and other database studies showing the positive benefits of neuraxial. So that, that was sort of where that, um, neuraxial gained momentum. And so when we started ambulatory surgery, that trend kind of just stuck when we found that, um, neuraxial was being used in the majority of our centers.
0: So, I mean, the next question might be, you know, partially answered already. But what might some of the reasons be that anesthesiologists in the study chose a general anesthetic, for example?
1: Yeah. So, when speaking with uh, those institutions that more readily use general, it seemed like um, it it either was a surgeon preference uh, in those circumstances. Um, and in some centers that did prefer neuraxial, general anesthesia was um, used in situations where it was either patient preference or there are clinical factors that neuraxial may not be the best choice. Uh, for example, like spinal d- deformities.
0: While not the primary focus of your study, when looking into some details, it was interesting to see that race um, uh, was a factor in determining. Uh, the use of neuraxial anesthesia with minorities receiving this intervention less frequently. This type of disparity in care has been reported uh, uh, by other researchers as well. Any thoughts as to why this happens and how it can be overcome, since disparities research in in general in in anesthesia is kind of in its infancy?
1: Yeah, we, um, we, we definitely found this difference really interesting and similar to findings reported from other researchers and different different um, me- medical subspecialties, you know, this is not my ex- uh, area of expertise. But um, from my just general understanding, the you know the etiology of health disparities as a whole is is, is pretty complex and multifactorial. Um, with some some research stating that it, it involves both um, all patient. Uh, provider and systemic factors. So my, my guess is that we're, we're finding similar findings and, and reasons for that in our study. Um, for example, patient factors such as you know understanding of, of the different types of anesthesia and personal, personal feelings of healthcare care, uh, provider factors such as implicit bias in the delivery of care, and then systemic factors such as access to care and services that may, may play a role in all the findings uh, we see uh, in addressing your question on um, how, how it could be overcome. That's, that's a pretty loaded question, but <laughs> I think, you know, a major role we play as researchers and physicians is, is mainly is, is to be aware of these disparities um, present our findings to um, stakeholders, other physicians, leaders that can help drive and implement changes to to potentially help improve these type of uh, disparities.
0: Yeah, certainly everything starts with recognizing that there is a problem and then we can uh, move towards trying to fix it. Okay, great. Moving on, Uh, you found no differences in the odds of the primary outcome of 30-day major complications uh, or in the secondary outcome of minor complications between the anesthesia types. Uh, however, the ratios are both under 1. While speculative, do you believe that given the rarity of these events, you said it, it happened less than 1% of the time, a higher sample size could have yielded significant results? I'm asking because despite having over 10,000 patients included for analysis, this number may be rather small for a population-based study if we take into account that over 1 million patients are having uh, hip and knee arthroplasty in the in the United States alone, and that number is supposed to increase up to four million within fifteen years from now.
1: Yeah, that's that's a very important note that you you guys make, um, and it it is a limitation to our our study. You know, um, complications after total joints um, is 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 there, but it, the major complications are rare you know, individual complications like mortality or MI occur, like you said, less than 1% of the time. And um, to be able to study differences between anesthetic techniques, um, for example, if we, we thought there was a 50% reduction on, for neuraxial, you, you, you would need like tens of, of thousands, hundreds of thousands of patients to, to find that significant difference. But it did seem like there was a trend in our data that favored axial, um to, to impart some benefits, and I, I, I do speculate, like you said, that if we did have potentially three to five times our sample size, we may we would probably start seeing um, significant results. You know, uh, in regards to um, uh, the the sample size, you know, we based it upon our power calculations. Uh, also, given that. Um, we only had two, two years of data. We, we thought that our, 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 um, our, our study was powered enough to, to find those differences. But even then, because the risks, the complication rates were so low uh, that our, our results may have been underpowered. So I, I, I do agree that uh, in an observational population study, uh, the largest sample, sample size would be ideal.
0: I think this throws up the whole question that is ongoing. Between um, you know what is clinically versus statistically significant, and what is uh, you know relevant from a public health perspective versus a uh, hospital system perspective versus a single hospital, right? So, how much of what you have do you have to like how many patients do you have to really treat in order to get a benefit? And this is the follow-up question that I have: is given that the number needed to treat to prevent a complication on a population basis. Uh, which might be rather large. Do you believe that the choice of anesthetic is still a relevant factor to consider?
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, even if the number needed to treat maybe rather large, you know, 100, 100 patients, one hundred patients, a thousand patients, on a I think on a population level, you will still see a benefit if you chose uh, the anesthetic that, that imparts some benefit, especially if you know neuraxial. There's there's no major significant downsides to neuraxial. Uh, and the second uh, point is that the, because there are some significant differences that we found in the immediate post-operative outcomes, you know, such as decreased pain and PONV and potentially improvement in discharge rates, it, it, the, the neuraxial would probably be a, still a better choice uh, given, given those benefits.
0: Yeah, I think that's, you know, and I have a bias there. You know, many of the, out, uh, the studies that, you know, found no difference in the outcomes between general and uraxial frequently report, um, you know, trends towards lower odds ratios, but they don't become quite significant. But it's very hard to find a study that, that shows that regional anesthesia is actually worse than general anesthesia. So uh, in the end, it uh, seems to be all about the sample size. So let's turn to uh, the secondary outcomes of pain and opioid consumption and PONV. Here the neuraxial rooms seem to be uh, have fared better. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
1: As I mentioned previously, uh, what we what we found was patients who received neuraxial had significantly lower um, pain scores uh, despite receiving less um, interoperative opioids and opioids. And also we, we looked at non-opioid adjuncts, such as uh, gabapentinoids and NMDA antagonists, and we found that um, general ana- patients who had general anesthesia were more f- had more frequent use of those. So despite all that, um, neuraxial patients still had better pain control, and what we found was general anesthesia patients had more PONV, um, and we speculate that that potentially is from the more opioids they were receiving. Um, and so so I, I think uh, this points to the concept of neuraxial anesthesia providing some type of uh, preventative anal- analgesic effects because uh, it, it blocking nociceptive input throughout surgery may, may inhibit some of that development of hyperalgesia that may be associated with the surgery. And then with the PONV, you're, you're probably just seeing a cumulative effect of opioids plus potential inhaled anesthetic use during the surgery that that's just, um, compounded on itself. So, and, uh, you know, I wanted to ask then, do you believe that these benefits are sufficient
0: to recommend a anesthetic for outpatient joint arthroplasty?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I do think this study, uh, builds on previous research that supports the use of neuraxial, And like you mentioned that there's, a lot of the studies don't show any downside um, or inferior, inferior uh, results from using norexial. So it's, it's, it's very feasible to use norexial in the ambulatory center. That being said, you know, uh, I, I don't necessarily think that those centers that do use general anesthesia, it's, it's so detrimental in, in, in terms of patient care, because, you know, these, most of these patients will do fine either way. But I, I do have, again, a bias towards using neuroaxial in, in, in these situations.
0: You know, since we're always stuck with uh, database studies and using just the data that are given to us, we can't really go back and collect more information. What do you think um, are other outcomes that you wish or you think that are relevant when making recommendations? And uh,
1: what would did, do you wish you would have had access to for this analysis? The, the nice thing with um, administrated data is that you can get a lot of, a lot of patients in, in your, in your study cohort. And the, the downsides, like you mentioned, is that some of the outcomes, um, you may not have, or maybe the, the, the data is, is, um, missing. And so, uh, w- one of the things that we didn't analyze and I think would be important for, um, anesthesiologists and, and, um, Physicians in ambulatory centers is, is understanding um, postoperative uh, um, urinary retention, which may influence the type of anesthesia, uh, maybe influence, maybe different between the anesthesia types. So that's important. Another outcome that, um, a, as an a anesthesiologist, especially a regional anesthesiologist, is I, I would like to think that the care we provide today would impact um, mid to long-term outcomes such, such as function and pain. And so outcomes like uh, follow-up, functional outcomes in physical therapy, such as range in motion or strength, w- would be pretty interesting to look at, but we, we just didn't have.
0: So um, let's talk a little bit about methodology. Um, so confounding is always an issue when you are dealing with administrative data and secondary data analysis. Can you comment on this issue and tell us what you and your colleagues did in this uh, study to minimize this problem
1: confounding I think is a is an issue that we all deal with in research uh, whether it's observational or, or, or prospective studies um, you know we can't completely control for the variables in observational or retrospective studies like in prospective trials however you know using statistical methods to help adjust is important. So what we did in our study was to try to um, adjust for facility level bias as well as um, uh, physician and patient level bias. So on a um, facility level, uh, what we did was we, we assumed that the outcomes for, for the same facility were likely to be correlated. So we use some um, hierarchical Multi-variable regression anal- analysis to control for that uh, on a patient-level um, analysis, we did adjust for um, provider selection bias for noraxial because you know there are patient factors that may bias a physician to choose uh, neuraxial versus general, you know, such as um, BMI or uh, how, how much how their ASA score. So those are factors we did we did um, try to adjust for in terms of confounding, and then I, I just make note that because um, uh, administrative data is is difficult to mine in terms of going into the charts. The nice thing with our our uh, EMR was that uh, we were because it's it's um, all integrated within one system. If there was any questions in terms of outcomes, we were able to um, actually go into the patient's chart and, and figure out if there was any discrepancies on what we were finding on the on the back end.
0: That's great. You noted that one of the downsides of neuroaxial anesthesia might be a longer recovery time. Uh, do you believe that there are ways to address this issue? Uh, might newer, shorter acting local anesthetics be of help, uh, perhaps different approaches to mitigate this?
1: Interesting enough, when we started these ambulatory jo- uh, total joints, uh, we discussed this issue among the different hospitals. And um, for the most part, uh, before ambulatory joints, we were using bupivacaine, either isobaric or hyperbaric. And as we switched to ambulatory surgery, um, that that practice of uh, use of bupivacaine changed, whether it was um, using a different local anesthetic, such as mepivacaine or chlorprocane, um, or even going down on the dosage of bupivacaine so so I think those were the ways we tried to address that issue um, the, the the on the flip side if we were we started using for example at our facility using chloroprocaine, um in the first few ambulatory joints and we found that the spinals were just not lasting long enough and so so we were kind of Um, at the end of the, at the tail end of the surgery, we were just starting to have patients move or having pain. And so we had to adjust for that. So now, now at our center, um, we use either a epinephrine wash or, um, adding like a short acting opioid to, to, uh, prolong that block. So, so, but for now, you know, four years in, you know, our most institutions, um, are pretty dialed in on the type of, uh, medication they use. So
0: to that extent, what, if any, role do you peripheral nerve blocks play in this equation? Do you use any?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think that peripheral nerve blocks play a pretty significant role in the care of patients um, undergoing total joints, specifically, I think, more, more so for total knee replacement. I think it's part of the multimodal pain management pathway, and it improves pain um, patient Recovery profile and satisfaction scores, and especially if you can prolong that block to last longer than the you know the first um, half day or a day. Um, so I think that's that's better. So even adding like um, adjuncts to the local anesthetic or, or running a catheter would be important. Um, thing is, like I think peripheral nerve catheters or peripheral nerve blocks have been such a hot topic. Um, for for these last several years especially since you know the field of regional anesthesia continues to grow um when we started doing nerve blocks and nerve catheters it started out as femoral nerve nerve blocks and we were having a bunch of motor weakness then we transitioned to adductor canal catheters and then you know there's there's other blocks that came came about in the last few years like the ipac block and Maybe some centers using um, stimulating catheters or radiofrequency ablation. So, so it's just continue to, to change, and it's pretty pretty amazing um, what what the specialty has has pr- how far it's progressed. Um, and then I, I'm I'm really glad that we we do this because it, it ultimately improves um, care for patients.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I agree with you. So clearly more work is uh, uh, needed uh, to identify the role of the type of anesthesia on outcomes in joint arthroplasty patients. So what do you believe needs to be done? You mentioned some of it already in terms of peripheral nerve blocks, but what do you need, uh, you think, in terms of like research needs to be done here?
1: You know, I think, as you know... Um... There, there's tremendous value in observational population-based studies because it can shine shine light on important topics that would be difficult to study. Like we, we've seen that here uh, in studies examining outcomes for anesthesia type. But what we are really missing um, is a really good randomized controlled trial comparing anesthesia type in total joint orthoplasty patients. Um, and similar to what we recently saw in... Hip fracture um, surgery with the Regain trial and the Raga trials. I think, I think having something done like that for um, for total joints would be would be pretty impactful.
0: Looks like we have a work cut out for ourselves. But as you said um, earlier, um, you know, looking at the variety of outcomes will be important. Edward, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you all for listening in. And I hope you join us for future podcasts uh, on this
1: series. Thank you for the uh, amazing opportunity to share our work and uh, discuss the topic with you, Dr. Mansudis. And uh, thanks to the RAPM editors to continually publish high-quality work in our field. Thank you for listening to the RAPM Focus podcast. Original music and production are done by Dan
0: Langa. More information can be found at www.danlange.com. We hope you'll join us in the future for more discussions with authors published in the Rappam Journal, and you can visit us at www.rappam.org.